0: Well, that's Kristen Dunwoody's story. Just like Matt said, we're trying to do everything we can to tell the stories of our whole family in the life of Keystone. And so there's some resources for you as that begins to roll out in 2023. If you ever, if you should, that's just the start of that story. There's a whole podcast episode that you can go listen to the entire thing of Kristen walking with Jesus in the grief of losing her father. And so keystonelife.com slash stories. You can also get it at any podcast platform that you use. Just search Keystone Stories. I also wanna make aware to you uh, a podcast that we do that some of you have uh Subscribe to, but it's also called Keystone Conversations. And that, uh, that podcast is for us to talk about just the issues and topics from everything from how to walk with Jesus more to cultural topics to things that are going on in the life of church. That's going to be a more prominent thing that we do this year. And uh, you just got to meet Eric Hayes. And if you'd like to hear me interview him and just to get to know him, just so you kind of know where he's coming from. He's coming from Georgia. We hate the Georgia Bulldogs. Somebody say amen. Uh, but Uh, We can hear more about the story of God and his life. So go wherever you find podcasts, wherever you listen to on your way back and forth to work or when you work out or whatever. Keystone Conversations, you can catch both of those. So that's for you. Uh, You guys ready for Hebrews chapter 7? Very good. So start turning there. Um, This week, coming up this week, is 10 years that me and my family have lived in Iowa, so we are now Iowans for a decade. I feel like that gives me a little bit of credibility, right? Um, I feel like I feel very Iowa-ish at this point in my life. We 've loved living here. And when we came, the beginning conversation became October 2012. In October 2012, I found about a ministry opportunity in Iowa. And by December 2012, we had made a decision. We are moving to Iowa. We felt compelled that that's what God was asking us to do. And when we made that transition, it was kind of crazy because I'd never really seen snow a lot in my life, right? So you're like, holy cow, it's cold. Um, Another massive reason it was a difficult decision was, is that when we moved here, we knew it was going to be a little bit of a pay decrease, which is fine. In ministry, you kind of expect that. That was fine. But one of the issues that we had was, is that housing was, almost double what it was where we we were living. So we're like, we're going to make less money and houses are almost double what we just are going to sell our house for. So that was a real stress for us. That was October 2012. i gonna tell you the story of how God provided for that. Unbeknownst to any of this, in July 2012, so like four or five months before we even thought about coming to Iowa, my father-in-law, out of some circumstances, preparing for his retirement, he was working in Cedar Rapids, but bought his retirement home in the Des Moines area but in preparation. because, like, it's just a couple of years before we retire, so I'm going to buy that house. We'll come in because grandkids are in Iowa over the weekends, and we'll stay here. And so in the midst of God's great hand of provision for us to be able to move here, it was my in-law's incredible kindness that said, listen, We're not even living there. We live in Cedar Rapids. Y'all live in our house until you can get yourself settled and you can find a house. It was an awesome gift to us. And so we landed in their house for a few months, but here's what you need to know. As awesome as that was and as kind as they were, it was very temporary for us. So when we moved in, tons of our boxes, we left in the garage. In fact, I remember leaving my piano in the garage. And if you piano lovers out there, like my piano is in the cold and I don't like this, right? But there's a lot of our stuff. We didn't put our pictures on the wall because it was temporary. At the time, our kids were seven, five, and three. And so um, with seven, five, and three-year-olds, some of you parents understand this, comes a lot of toys and a lot of mess, amen? Like, it's everywhere. And it's like, this is... This is our, in, my in-laws, Carrie's parents' house. We want to care for it like it's their house, not just our house. And so you kind of have this different expectation. I was at Toys, like seven, five, and three-year-olds, their hands are dirty all the time. And they touch walls, and they touch everything, and it's just gross. And we're like, this is our parents' house. We're going to take care of it. And so as awesome as it was, and her parents never expected anything, it was temporary for us. And so we thought we might make it about a year, but after about six months, cares like, we're getting our own house because we want something permanent that we can put our pictures on the wall, that we can feel like it's ours. And I'm not just telling you this because it's a moving story. I'm telling you this because when we drop into the scripture this morning, there's a real reality of today's text that what was happening to the Hebrew people is that they had trusted a temporary system, the temporary law, the temporary priest, And the writer of Hebrews is trying to explain to us how Christ is not temporary, but he is the permanent. In fact, if you're a note taker, you want to write this because this is the main point that you're going to see almost in every word of this passage today. This is it. Christ is the perfect and permanent high priest. Christ is the perfect and permanent high priest. In the context of he's writing, this is a radical message to the Hebrew believers They needed to understand because the law and the Levitical order had been in place for 1,300 years, and it was a temporary system. Remember last week, Pastor Matt talked about riding a bike? Like they had been riding this bike for 1,300 years, and now Christ has come, and he is the permanent, he's the perfect high priest, and they're now having to learn to live in that reality. That's where we're going to be going today. Uh, But before we get there, I want to kind of, pull back even a little bit more, and help us understand as we jump in there, because we're going to get into some technical things today. And as we deal with some theological things, there's this unique situation that I think arises a lot of times, the, the relationship between simplicity and complexity. So I can explain the gospel to you in a few sentences. I can say, "Listen, you are saved by grace through faith. this isn't of yourself. You've got to trust who Jesus is, that He has sacrificed. His sacrifice and resurrection was good for your sins. It's a simple message. But there's often a lot of complexity of why that's true. Let me give an example of this. Um, an example of something that seems really simple, but is actually very complex is artificial. Intelligence, if you listen to the news, it's all the rays, AI, AI, AI. There's a new uh, chat, uh, GPT is this open to AI, where you can ask questions and they simply give you answers. So I thought I would test it this week and I wanna show you the, the question I put in the uh, chat GPT. You can see the picture. Um, this was my question, explain how Jesus is a better priest according to the book of Hebrews. Now here's the thing, I wanted to find out if this robot was a Christian basically, right? <laughs> I'm like, is this thing gonna spit out good answers or bad theology? Let me read you the answer. According to the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, Jesus is a superior priest to the priest of the Old Testament because he is of the order of Melchizedek rather than the order of Aaron. Melchizedek was a mysterious figure in the Old Testament who was both king and priest. The author of Hebrews argues that Jesus is the eternal son of God, is a better priest because he is able to offer a perfect sacrifice for sins once and for all, whereas the priest of the Old Testament could only offer temporary, repeating sacrifices. Additionally, Jesus' priesthood is eternal, whereas the priests of the Old Testament were temporary and had to be replaced. Guys, I had to go to seminary for a lot of years. (laughs) (laughs) It turns out he might be a Christian. I mean, that is like, perfect like you don't like unbelievable grid represent in fact i could say amen you know and we could go home because that's right amen. it's perfect and so it's simple i asked that question actually completely on a whim and in 20 seconds perfect theology good interpretation of the book of hebrews matt's laughing because we did have to go to seminary to parse that kind of stuff and it's simple it's a simple answer that's this book in the simple answer but there was a complexity to get there because the next question I asked ChatGPT, I was like, because this is such a simple, how did you get there? And this is the next question I ask. What kind of mathematical formulas are behind Chat GPT? Because <laughs> that seems like witchcraft or something, right? This is the answer. ChatGPT is a type of language model called a transformer, which is used a combination of neural networks and attention mechanisms to generate text. The underlying mathematical formulas include linear algebra operations such as matrix multiplications and nonlinear activation functions, as well as techniques from optimization and probability theory to train the model on large data sets. Complex. So for my simple answer, there's complexity that very few in this room even has a concept with. that I means, in fact, let me show you, this is, one of the, this is a linear algebra equation that this robot is just running in its head to get that kind of simple answer. And here's, again, this ain't about AI, this isn't about robots today, but let me explain why this is important. Because I can explain the gospel very simply to you and I can explain it to a three-year-old. But sometimes the scripture says, there's a deeper theological framework that you should understand here. In fact, the book of Hebrews earlier on told us, it said this, it says, listen, some of you, I wanna go deeper in things that you could actually understand and some frameworks that you could pin some of your theology, but you're so, you're still drinking milk. Let's leave the elementary teachings. And we talk about Melchizedek and the earth and the sacrificial system and the priest, it's linear algebra, but it's gonna get us to this beautiful, simple answer of who Jesus is. So let's press in. Hebrews chapter seven, verse 11, if you're there, say, got it. Very good. Now, if perfection came through the Levitical priesthood, for on the basis of it, the people received the law, what further need was there for another priest to appear? Said to be according to the law, to the order of Melchizedek and not according to the order of Aaron. For when there is a change of the priesthood, there must be a change of law as well. What we're gonna find out is, is that Jesus is replacing the old system And a reminder, what Pastor Matt started with last week is, is that last week we talked about the order of the priest, uh, the Levitical priesthood, which is from the order of Aaron. And what they did is, is that they distributed the laws and they performed sacrifices over and over and over and over. And the order of the priest of Melchizedek is this. He was the priest of God most high, Genesis 14 says. In all, not only is he a priest of God, the scripture says that he is the king of righteousness. In fact, that's what Melchizedek, Melech is the, is the Hebrew word for king, and Kizedek was the, from the description of righteousness. And not only was he the king of righteousness, he was also the king of peace. That word Salem is how we get our word peace. He's the king of both of those things. And the idea here is, is that biblical priests, they're not perfect. They couldn't hold together the whole system. And so there needed to be a change. And so what he knew, the writer of Hebrews knew is, is that this was gonna be a hard pill for the people, for the Hebrew believers to take in. Because they knew the Old Testament. And for them, they, they wanted to, they were gravitationally being pulled back to the law and the priest. And so the writer's trying to get them to go away from that, but there was a problem. For them, they're like, you're arguing about Jesus being the priest, but they knew their Bible and they're saying, listen, he's not even in the same tribe. How can he be the right person? So look at verse 13. For the one these things are spoken about, which is Jesus, belong to a different tribe. No one from it has served at the altar. Now it is evident that our Lord came from Judah and Moses said nothing about that tribe concerning The priest, they're making this argument, and it's actually a very biblical argument. They're making the argument, listen, any priest is supposed to be from Levi. He's not from Levi. No one's arguing that Jesus is from Levi. We all know he's from Judah. And Moses said nothing about priests coming from Judah. So how in the world could this Jesus be a priest? It's against the law. And they were astute for recognizing this. In fact, it would be similar to us Um, if a non-U.S. citizen said, I want to be president, and Article II of the Constitution, that's a no-no. You have to be naturally born in the United States. You have to be over 35. You have to have been a resident. for, Anyways, there's more to it. But you have to be a citizen. And as American citizens, if someone just moved from Kenya and was like, hey, I want to be president, we'd be like, no, 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 no. You can't do that. And that's what the Jewish people are arguing. Like, we know our Bible. He can't can't be the priest because he's in Levi. And then he keeps going. He explains how this is possible, verse 15. And this becomes clear if another priest like Melchizedek appears, who did not become a priest based on a legal regulation about physical descent, but based on the power of an indestructible life. For it has been testified, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek." So there's this historical precedence for them because the Jewish people would have absolutely believed that Melchizedek was a priest of God Most High. And so the writer of Hebrews is like, listen, I know you're thinking about Moses, but let's go back all the way to Genesis 14, and there's this priest called Melchizedek. And the Jewish believers would have been like, yeah, okay, we get that, that is a priest. And not only was that, He wasn't a part of Moses' law, but Abraham had interacted, which gave a lot of credibility to Melchizedek. And then he comes back, and again, Pastor Matt talked about this. There's this divine oath. There will forever be a priest according to Melchizedek because David, in Psalm 110, talks that there was this oath. He wrote by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And if you actually look, if you're in Hebrews chapter 7, in my Bible there's this bold and kind of offset word. Anytime you see that in your Bible, that's a quotation from somewhere else in the scriptures. And it's a, script, it's a quotation of Psalm 110 saying, this is the oath, and David made it in Psalm 110. So the writer of Hebrews is being brilliant in this moment because he's looking at the Jewish believers and saying, listen, I know you agree Melchizedek is a priest, and I know you trust King David. So he was a priest, and David said it was going to come in his order. But it has meaning for us as well, and here's the meaning for us. For us, we get to see this beautiful, unfolding redemption story in the Scriptures. That God had this plan in Genesis 14. David echoed this plan hundreds of years later in Psalm 110. And now the writer of Hebrews is explaining, in some senses, this linear algebra equation showing us. It's complex how God's doing it, but it's so simple when we see Christ Jesus, that he is the high priest. He's moving forward. Verse 18, you know this, the writer of Hebrews is coming hard against the law. He's coming hard because at the time, the Hebrew believers are tempted to go back to it. And so there's other places like Romans where they say here was the purpose of the law. They kind of give it a hat tip. It served its purpose. The writer of Hebrews, because they're tempted to go back, he's coming hard and heavy on it and saying, get rid of it. Look at verse 18, what he says about the law. So the previous command is annulled. The old law is annulled. Because it was weak and unprofitable, for the law perfected nothing, but be, but a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. This word annulled. The only way I have a context for it is, is an annulled marriage. Annulment can happen when a, a marriage can be annulled because there's like, hey, when you entered into this marriage, it was actually not on good standing, and you actually couldn't even enter into this relationship, so it's done away with. And he's talking about the temporary solution of the law has been completely annulled and done away with. And then look at the word, the word the, like the sharp words he says about the law. He says it is weak, unprofitable, and perfected nothing. These are very sharp and cutting words he's using against the law. Let me explain it this way. If we're outside, we say amen, it's been a great service, and we go out there and you're like, hey, great job preaching, Pastor Brent, love that sermon. I was like, you know what? You are weak, you're pretty unprofitable, and I don't, you're pretty imperfect. Would you take that as a compliment from your pastor? <laughs> the answer is no because those are very sharp words. And the writer of Hebrews is making clear how limited the temporary solution of the law is, because here's the reality. The law could clean up sin, but it could never solve the sin problem. It could never perfect. Let me give you an illustration. It's a little dangerous, but we're gonna go with it. Let's talk about clogged toilets um, let's just say in my house that a toilet was clogged. And my wife looked at me and said, hey, we need to get the toilet unclogged. And I'd be like, hey, I, I understand we need to fix the toilet clogs, but I'm actually not going to fix the clog in the toilet. What I'm going to do is, is I'm going to come up with a solution that every time the toilet overflows, I'm going to create a system that will clean up the mess. And I'm using A toilet and a clogged toilet on purpose, because sometimes we just go, oh, I sinned and I made a mistake. I'm telling you right now, your sin is vile. It is dirty. It is gross. And the law, what the law does, like, listen, we're not going to fix the pipes. The law just said, I'm going to clean up the mess. Every time you sin, you need another dove. Every time you make a mistake, you got to go to the law and go, okay, that one's going to cost me a grain offering. Okay, that one costs me a lamb. That's a bull. Every time there was a mess in life, you had to go back to the sacrificial system, back to the priest to try to solve and clean up that mess. It could never fix the problem. What the gospel does is it comes in and it fixes the pipes. You no longer have to clean up the mess because it has solved and made it completely whole. In fact, if you move forward, look what it says. It says in verse 20 through 21, it talks about the oath again. We're gonna to skip to verse 22, and this is what it says. Because of this oath, this new law, the one that can fix the pipes, Jesus has also become the guarantee of a better covenant. He's a better hope. He's a better guarantee because he is permanent. Look at verse 23. And now many have become Levitical priests since they were prevented by death from remaining in office. But because he remains forever, he holds his priesthood permanently. The idea was like listen, look at all the old priests, they're dead. They lived, they made sacrifices, and then they died. They come and they die. But Christ Jesus is radically different. He is eternal. He's always existed. He rose from the grave and he lives eternally. And the idea is, is his priesthood now is forever. This has real application for us because it shows another reason why the resurrection is so important. Because he didn't just take our sins and sacrifice and die. In fact, he overcame those sins and he is permanent now. He will be forever our high priest. He will never remove. And it says the application for us then is this. The king that we trust, the savior, the high priest of Christ Jesus will never turn. It doesn't matter if you're 10 years old in this room or you're 80 years old, he will not go away. Because of his permanence. Look at verse 25 says Matt has said this, I think, last week. He talked about it in our elder room this week. Verse 25 could be argued to be the thesis statement of the entire book of Hebrews. And here's what it says Therefore, he, being Jesus, is able to save completely those who come to God through him, since he always lives to intercede for them. Do you see this idea? Right here, all of a sudden, it's not that he just cleans up your sins every single time you made a sin. Look what it says. He is able to save completely. Save completely. He doesn't clean up the mess. He fixes the pipes. He is the only way you can be saved because then just clean up sin. He changes us and makes us New And the fact is, is not only does he do that, he always lives to intercede for us. And in the coming chapters, you're going to see that he is interceding for us even now. Not only has he fixed the problem, he's praying for us. He's interceding on our own behalf because he is permanent. In verse 26, says not only is he perfect or permanent, he's actually perfect. Verse 26, for this is the kind of high priest we need. This is what it is. We need a holy innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. Here's who Christ is as a priest. He's holy, without sin. He's innocent. He's not been defiled by sin, and he just keeps repeating words that would point to his holiness in our lives, and here's the theological reality. The complex theology system around this is this. If Christ Jesus was not perfect, he could not take your sin. He had to be. That's why he's better than the other priests who died, who were sinful. And he stands apart. Look at verse 27. He doesn't need to offer sacrifices every day as high priests do. First for their own sins and then for those of the people priests that they were used to trusting in? They were sinners. And when they even came into the room of sacrifices, they would have to first sacrifice for themselves to get themselves right for God, and then they would have to take the sacrifices of the people. And here's what he's saying is, listen, Jesus doesn't need to do that. He's already perfect, and his perfect sacrifice means that he only needs to sacrifice once, once and for all, and it's a done deal because he is perfect And he is permanent. Look at 27b. He did this once for all time when he offered himself. For the law appoints a high priest, men who are weak, but the promise of the oath which came after the law appoints a son who has been perfected forever. Listen, what Christ did, I don't know the exact year—eighty AD 33-ish. 2,000 years ago, on the hill of Golgotha was one sacrifice and it's still valid for all who would believe today, both for now and forever. It's the power of him being the high priest. Again, the point of the sermon is this, Christ is the perfect and permanent high priest. Let's try to press this into life. Let's talk about his perfection and how that interacts with us. He is perfect means that he can pay for your most wicked imperfection. The reality in this room is your sin and my sin is both vast and vile. This week, you can't see this room, but I can. Hundreds of people in here. If we just added up this week the sins that this room, Committed, anger, lust, greed, foul language, gossiping, selfishness, not trusting in God. If we just added this group right here, just this week, we would all blush because our sin is vast and it is vile. So I did some math. Um, This next week is my birthday. And I'll read it. I figured out how many weeks I've lived in my life, 2,288 weeks. Some of you are going to do the math and get your calculator and figure out how old I'm going to be this week. If we just calculated my sin this week, and then we multiplied it times 2,288, and I think we'd have to add an exponent for some of those years in high school. Somebody say amen. <laughs> That's how vast and vile my sin is. But here's the thing, because he is perfect. He's perfect. No sin. His sacrifice can cover and handle all of our imperfection. Because if he wouldn't have been perfect, he would not have been the perfect high priest, but he was. And therefore, he can take all of your imperfection. But he's also permanent. And he's permanent enough to be the foundation of your life in every storm and every season. You will sin again. This week, it might've been a good week or bad week, but next week's coming. At some level, I'm at midlife. So let's just say, like, you'll notice that if I got like, dye my hair and buy, buy a convertible or something like that. But I just moved it forward. What if I have the same amount of weeks available to me? That's 2,288 weeks left in my life. The amount of sin that's coming in the future. And not only is he perfect enough to handle all of my sin and your sin, he's also permanent enough that it doesn't matter how old I get, that he is still powerful enough to take all the sin because he's perfect, but he's also permanent Because Jesus Christ is the perfect and permanent high priest. Now, this is not theology class with a goal to help you understand more clearly the order of Aaron, the order of Melchizedek, and understand the law and its temporariness and Christ in the, like, you need to know these things. These are actually, we should press on Beyond maturity. But we gotta remember why he's writing this. He's writing this to Hebrew believers because at the time, they were under persecution. They were really tempted to return back to their way of living. And so he's writing them saying, don't turn back. Well, you and I are not first generation Hebrew believers in AD, you know, in the first century AD. But here's an application that we could talk about today. What are you in danger of returning to, to pay for your mistakes? What are you in danger of returning to? I think there's two categories. The first one is the choice that many in this room would take, that you would return to religious activity. That you would say, man, if I make a mistake, I'm gonna come in here and I'm gonna pay for my mistakes by making some resolutions. God, I'm gonna start doing you fill in the blank." I'm gonna make church bigger priority. I'm gonna make connection group more of a priority in my life. I'm gonna arrange my finances. God, I'm gonna set my alarm 15 minutes earlier and I'm really gonna read my Bible and pray. And guys, you should do all of those. But hear this, that will not make you perfect before God. It won't. It has no power. That religious activity has no power to save yourself. The only way that you can come before God is through the perfect and permanent sacrifice of Christ Jesus. But then there's another kind of category for those of us who've made mistakes and want to fix them. And this, is, this has nothing to do with religion, but man, does it have something to do with the way we live our lives in Ankeny, Iowa today. It's our non-religious way of trying to cover up our mistakes. And the non-religious way is we try harder. We bootstrap, I'm going to fix this. I'm going to double down. I'm going to push hard and I'm not going to give up and I'm going to just keep going and keep going and keep going until I make myself the way I need to do it. Guys, you are not able to make up for yourself because you are imperfect and you are not forever. You cannot perfect yourself. Only Christ is the perfect and permanent high priest. Tell you a story about a way that I interacted with this text this week. Um, Saturday mornings when I preach, I always get up pretty early and work on my sermon before the house is up. So yesterday morning, no other, just like every Saturday morning, pretty early, get up, uh, make my coffee, and go sit down to read my Bible before I jump into working on my sermon. And really clearly, I don't know if you've ever had this happen in your life. I'm sure you have. You just wake up and you're already in a mood before you've even said hello to anybody. Anybody ever had that moment? So I'm there. Like I'm wake, I wake up and I'm kind of just like, mm, what's going on? So I'm like, I'm frustrated. I sit down and just like, God, I got to get all this out. I don't know what's going on in my soul. And so I sit down. The only way I know I do that is open God's word. And I'm a journaler because my brain goes everywhere if I don't sit and type my prayers. I can pray in corporate settings and not get distracted. But by myself, if I'm on my chair, it's squirrel, squirrel, squirrel. So I'd have to type all my prayers. An hour later, I'm starting to untangle my soul. And it's realized I'm angry, frustrated, and mad. So I had to sit there and remind myself of God's word. These are a couple passages, just copied and pasted from my journal. This is Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. Be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger and don't give the devil an opportunity. I'm like, God, I am angry. I am giving the devil an opportunity. And not only did the sun apparently go down on it, the sun rose up on it. Then four, Ephesians 4 keeps pressing on and it says, let all bitterness, anger, and wrath, shouting and slander be removed from you along with all malice and be kind and compassionate. And here's my, I don't know what your version of anger. Some people are really loud when they're angry. I'm more of a simmering, stewing type of an anger. I can be angry and you not know about it. But I gotta listen to God's word. And so I finally get it all out. God, I just need you to meet me. Apparently, I was so angry. I felt like I left my chair on good terms. Like, God, I'm ready to get up. Before I even get back to the coffee, I'm already angry. I'm taking like 20 steps and I'm angry again. I'm like, God, I got to go write a sermon. <laughs> but I don't want to do this when I'm angry because I will yell at people tomorrow. <laughs> and there's this beautiful moment where I got to go write a sermon that says, Christ is the perfect Impermanent permanent high priest. And I can come even though I'm frustrated early in the morning. And God, you know I'm angry. I'm still trying to undertake why I was angry. I didn't know, I just woke up that way. But God, you are perfect and you have the capacity to take my imperfection and make it clean. But also, God, I can trust the permanence for you because if it happens again tomorrow, I can run right back to you and you can make me clean. Christ is the perfect and permanent high priest. Two application points, and we'll be done. Number one, believe it. Believe it. There's some of you in this room that maybe you have left you've trusted all kinds of different high priests, maybe your religiosity, maybe you never even thought about Christ as a perfect high priest, but you've trusted other things to fix your mistakes. And maybe for the first time today, you need to realize there is only one high priest who can save you and it's Jesus Christ. And you need to believe that today for the first time. But then there's probably a lot of saints in this room that this week, maybe it's been a big week, maybe it's not, but you've forgotten that sin isn't just a small thing. It's like, ah, I made a boo-boo. I messed up a little bit. But it separates you from God. And you need to believe it fresh in your soul that God forgives you and can make you clean. He doesn't just clean up the mess of your sin. He unclogs the toilet and fixes the sin problem in your life. 2 Corinthians five seventeen says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, the scripture says. Number two, rest in it. Rest in it. You will sin. The scripture is really clear. That is not the way for a believer to walk. It, destro- it destroys your life and it erodes your ability to walk in- with God. But if he's the perfect and permanent high priest, maybe some of you this week could rest in the reality that you can bring your imperfection to a perfect God and he forgives. And you would quit running from your sin. You would quit hiding and acting like it's all good, but you would actually rest in a savior who since all the way in Genesis 14 had the solution in Christ Jesus so that you could have eternal relationship with him. Christ Jesus is the perfect and permanent high priest. Would you bow? Jesus, we just wanna say thank you this morning. There's nothing on planet earth we could do, even if we repeated it over and over, that could save us. There's many in this room that are exhausted from trying. The simple truth today is, Christ is the perfect and permanent high priest. There's some theological depth of how that came through Aaron and not through Levi, and it was promised David, and and Jesus, he was perfect, and he will live forever. There's some really complicated realities behind that, God, but help us today to believe the simplicity, to rest in the simplicity, Thank you for your sacrifice, amen.